Before we get into the episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the lands on which this podcast was recorded, the lands of the people of the Yugambe language region and Darawal country. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal. Welcome to the Afterbirth Podcast. I'm Jazz. And I'm Liv, and we're your hosts. The Afterbirth Podcast was created to be a space for you to share your postpartum story in your own words and listen to others share their experiences. In this show, we'll be talking bleeding, feeding, late night Google reading, and so much more. Each episode, we'll delve into all of the weird and wonderful parts of the postpartum experience with real parents and experts. We hope these stories help you to feel empowered, educated and prepared on your own postpartum journey or just help you to feel more connected to others whose stories might resonate with your own. Now let's get into today's show. Hi everyone, welcome to our first ever episode of the Afterbirth podcast. Jazz and I are so excited to share this journey with you and we can't wait to hear your stories and connect with you. My name's Liv. I am a mum of two. I live with my two little boys and my wife in Queensland. My boys are two and a half and almost four months. So I'm sort of coming out of the postpartum fog for the second time. This podcast came about, as Jazz will explain to you, just from two mums connecting on social media about the fact that we really have such a huge gap in the information and stories that are available to us about postpartum. So lots about pregnancy, lots about birth, but just really a big gap in the education on what happens after birth. So that's what we're aiming to do. And I really hope that stories that you hear and the experts that we talk to and just through our own sharing our own experiences that you guys will really get something out of it. We would love to connect with you all on social media. So please follow and comment and DM us. We love it. Hi everyone. My name is Jazz and I'm a first time mum from Sydney. I have an 11-month-old daughter named Aurelia and she is actually turning one this month, which is wild. Um, My reason for joining this podcast was I really wanted to be a part of a space that anyone could come to to learn about anything postpartum. I feel that there is quite a gap in the system and I know this firsthand as my postpartum journey immediately and thereafter was really hard because I was uneducated, unaware and just winging it the whole way through and I think when you're winging something like that so many things get neglected you know and to be able to form a space like this I think it will bridge that gap a little bit and to be honest I've been wanting to start something for a while I felt that I needed to share my experiences with other people so that they could relate and so that I could learn from them I thought about doing a blog and a book and I had all these amazing ideas, but I didn't have the push that I needed to do it. And I think trying to juggle it with, you know, being a first-time mum and learning everything and day-to-day life stuff, it is really hard to get it off the ground. So I saw Liv comment on a 
post that she wanted to start a podcast as well. And I, I took that and I messaged her and I'm so glad that I did because I have a really, really good feeling about this. And I just can't wait to see what happens next. I can't wait to talk to other mums. I can't wait to talk to partners and I can't wait to talk to doulas, professionals, midwives, anyone we can get our hands on to get into this space. I just cannot wait. So yeah, let's go. Let's go. This first episode, Jazz and I talk about our transitions into motherhood and we touch on a lot of different topics and I guess throughout the series we'll probably be chipping in with a few other other things but this episode will focus on yeah our our stories so far. So Liv do you want to tell us a little bit about your first postpartum experience from after birth? In my third trimester, I I had really bad um, pubic symphysis pain. So I could barely walk. I was able to walk around the house, but I was just in so much pain. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. And I think it was at a 39-week appointment with our midwife. And we made the decision to get induced at 40 and 2. I went into that experience not knowing much about birth. I My plan was to just go with the flow, which I think as we mostly now know is probably not the best approach put it to the back of my mind and and not overthink it too much the induction resulted in quite a traumatic birth and and then a resulting pretty traumatic initial postpartum period so when I was in hospital so I had a forceps delivery which I had pelvic floor damage from that um and for the first three days or so afterwards I couldn't walk like physically just could not walk and could barely actually even move around the bed I had so much damage so we got discharged I think maybe day four um from hospital and I don't know I feel like the the four days in hospital is such a blur like I was in a room by myself I wasn't able to leave the room because I couldn't move or walk it was during COVID so there were all sorts of visitor restrictions and all sorts Mm -hmm. of things so the first time I left the room was when we were being discharged I don't recall bonding with Patrick in those few days like I've mentioned it on the Instagram I knew that I loved him and I had no thoughts of wanting to harm him or um, or not wanting to respond to him when he cried or anything like that. It was just like, I don't know you. How, like, how can I be in love with you? I don't know you. <laughs> we've only just met. And so that that feeling of falling in love, it didn't it didn't come to me for I would say probably a good couple of months after he was born. When, yeah, when we were discharged um, on, yeah, day three or four, I think it was day four, we got home and I remember I sobbed the whole way home. I remember leaving the hospital and thinking, hold on, do we need to sign something? Like I, despite the fact that I'm a pediatric nurse, I was like, I've never been a mum before though. This Mm. is so different. There's so much you don't know. And it just felt so bizarre that yeah, that I was going home with this tiny little dependent person that was just, yeah, ours now forever. 
Mm. Um, so I sobbed the whole car trip home and the sobbing really didn't stop. I cried all day, every day, but I remember calling or midwife on day five or six. I had developed a irrational fear of the dark. Every time the sun would start setting, I would just have this just dread. And I became worried that Cleo was going to leave me. I started thinking, oh shit, I fucked up. Like I've ruined our lives. And yeah, we called our midwife and I just said, things are getting a bit scary in my head. Um, What can we do? And she said, come into the hospital, bring baby, bring Cleo, and we'll get this sorted. And we drove there and she gave me the biggest hug and we went inside and she made us all a cup of tea and they admitted us as a family. And it ended up just being the night, which we are so lucky. And I feel like it's really just the fact that we were so well supported in those initial phases that it didn't turn into something worse but that was really the last of my sort of struggles to that extent. I struggled a lot with feeding in hospital in those initial days because I couldn't get out of bed. I had to buzz like if Cleo wasn't there I would have to buzz to get someone to come and pick Patrick up so that I could feed him and that was really hard Um, and I remember on the second night or something he was crying and I buzzed and it took quite a while for a midwife to come in and she said to me you need to feed him and I said I can't feed him because I can't get up to him and I need you to get him for me and she said well you haven't been feeding him enough and then obviously you know day two postpartum first baby I was just beside myself and I remember begging her for formula I just said well I don't know how to feed nobody's taught me how to feed I can't leave this room. The The breastfeeding classes weren't happening because of COVID. What formula can I use? How much do I need to give him? What? Mm-hmm. And there really, there wasn't any education about formula feeding either because I don't think that in the facility that we were in, I don't think they're actually allowed to recommend like brands or anything mm-hmm. like that. So we did end up giving him formula and that sort of started us down a mixed feeding sort of pathway which I feel like we never really had a chance to just exclusively breastfeed which is probably what I wanted to do but again um, probably buried my head in the sand a little bit and didn't realize that breastfeeding education should start during pregnancy Mm. Um, I sort of thought everyone breastfeeds like it's just it's natural natural. (laughs) animals animals do it if baby animals can figure it out come on how hard can it be and nobody around me had had, or seemingly nobody around me had had trouble breastfeeding their babies. So why would I have had trouble? So that was really hard. And again, yeah, sort of just set us up for a bit of a challenging start. I think the things that surprised me most about postpartum was just how much I would grieve for my old life, as awful as that sounds there was a real grieving period where I just was like, I'm never going to be the person that I was before this. And it wasn't that I didn't love, I think we've spoken about it before, Jazz, how um, a lot of people say, oh, I don't know how you deal with two kids or a toddler and a newborn. 
for me, that jump from zero to one kids was so much more epic than the jump from one to two has been so far. Yeah, just that whole shift in your identity was a real a real shock to me. And also just I never thought of postpartum past the fact that I would have a new baby. Mm. Like that's all you think of really unless you have people around you that are really open about it and talk about it or unless you listen to podcasts like this, hopefully. But yeah, it wasn't something that I prepared for because I didn't know that I needed to. That was, that's probably the immediate postpartum with my first. How about you? What was your sort of transition into motherhood like? Um, It was actually pretty similar to yours, actually. (laughs) Sitting, listening to that. I had COVID when I gave birth to Aura. So I was treated as a COVID patient and there was a lot of restrictions around me and my my partner actually almost wasn't allowed into the birth because he also had COVID. But luckily they got clearance for him. Like it was a big, he actually started driving away from me at the hospital. I was in the, I was in the car park. My water's just like leaking out. Like I was, I was pretty far along in labor like it came on quick and fast and I think maybe COVID had a lot to do with that and he started driving away and my the midwives were like where is he going he can come in so he quickly went and parked the car and he ended up coming in but I think like birth wise I was pretty happy with how it went considering like I didn't get to do a couple of the things I wanted to do because of COVID I didn't get to um, have a water birth and I didn't get to uh, do the cord clamping delay cord clamping for my placenta but um and there was constant monitoring like I was being touched constantly and my midwife (laughs) couldn't be there for a majority of it because she'd worked too many hours um so she didn't show up until about two hours before the baby was born and when she got there she actually told me I'd been pushing wrong for about two hours the other midwives weren't guiding me so I was pushing out of my stomach I'd wasted all this energy I lost all my fluid so like long story short I ended up on my back episiotomy um, and the vacuum to get her out in that last big push but it was still the most surreal feeling and I I loved it like I loved giving birth I would happily do that 10 times over Um, but in terms of postpartum I think straight away like my partner had to leave after an hour of skin on skin with me and bub and then I was isolated like I wasn't allowed visitors I wasn't um like the next morning they didn't send breakfast in I had to call them and they ended up giving me another patient's food as well so like it was really you could tell the room I was in didn't get used often like there was mold on the roof and it was I'd just been shoved into this room with my baby I had no idea what I was doing No one taught me how to breastfeed. So like I was just winging it. Um, And then I begged for them to let my aunt come in and they they let her come in, which was really nice. And then by day two, I needed to get out of there because like I couldn't, I couldn't, I wasn't even allowed to leave my room to get fresh air. I had to stay in there. And I think being considered a risk to everyone else on the ward was quite, it was really depressing. Like I, by day two, I was getting really, really upset. And like you could hear the new parents out outside going to bath their babies and like I couldn't see my partner. So that was pretty yeah. traumatic, I think, in terms of like straight after. And so I ended up going home at like 12 a.m. in the morning. I was 
hallucinating I was that tired like I could see flashing lights and like it was it was pretty full-on but um once I got home it was very similar to your experience like I cried every single day for yeah about two weeks um I cried because I wasn't sharing a bed with my partner because I was feeding on the couch it was just easier with, with our apartment and stuff like you really feel that distance between yourself and your partner because they can't help you with the breastfeeding. And because no one taught me how to breastfeed, like you, I was like formula. I've got to get formula into them because they're not getting enough food. And then, yeah, you think you just can't do it right. So we started mixed feeding exclusively very early on as well. And I saw I saw lactation consultants. Actually, no, I spoke to them on the phone because I had COVID. So I wasn't allowed to go and see anyone my midwife couldn't do house visits I had to talk to her over the phone like it was really like secluded which I think made it 10 times harder but yeah like I ended up pumping on I think day three because I had mastitis as well so like I had that pain and like Aura would latch and I'd scream out and cry and Dean I'd have to give her to Dean and he would put the pump on for me and like it was really it was a lot that toe curling latch yeah. when they like the first few weeks the, yeah. the latch and you just curl your toes every time <laughs> and you brace your body for it yeah I ended up like pressing my toes into the coffee table like that was how yeah. I braced myself um yeah and yeah so I had to take antibiotics for mastitis which ended up stuffing up her gut microbiome a little bit um and I was also on antibiotics in labor for group B strep so I think just all those antibiotics and the formula being introduced and everything made her very colicky um and I was googling like why is she not sleeping why is she crying so much this yeah messaging my midwife at like 6 a.m 12 a.m she was amazing though she'd reply every single time but yeah it was really breastfeeding was really really hard and also yeah the consuming those baby blues or you know like it's just so consuming and you think straight away you're like you self-diagnose yourself with depression because I already have a history with anxiety and depression so for me I was just like oh you know it's just heightened even more now yeah it kind of eased after a little bit but it's still kind of stuck even to now. Like I still struggle a little bit with the depression and everything like that. Yeah, I think the immediate postpartum journey, like the breastfeeding, the baby blues, they were the two big things. And then also just trying to figure out what to do. Like we don't have a big support mm. network, so I'm not close with my parents. Um, and we have Dean's mum and my aunt, but apart from that, you know, they're the older generation. They don't really talk about the nitty-gritty stuff. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I just had no idea what I was doing. I was so prepared for birth. I read everything. I listened to podcasts. I read Ina May. Like I was yeah. full into it. But, yeah, you just don't don't realise what comes after it. So and then healing from COVID and all that type of stuff as well. It was just, yeah, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> I had a bit on, hey. Yeah, yeah. To look back on it now, um, it's a blur like honestly like you just wonder Mm. how you got through something like that so yeah oh for sure you touched on a really important point there it's probably really important to mention for for my story that I truly believe this that the only reason why my baby blues didn't progress into something more serious is because we have and and had at the time an incredible village around us we 
were very lucky at the time. Um, my parents were living nearby. My mother-in-law basically moved in with us um, for the first couple of weeks. There were a couple of nights there where she just had the baby, like she had the baby out in the bassinet in the lounge room and she slept on the couch. And so we could get a few hours sleep. My parents came over every day and there was one day where my sister came over and I was in floods of tears and she just lay next to me and just held me while I cried. Mm-hmm. And that still sticks out to me as one of the most beautiful moments from my postpartum experience that first time because she knew firsthand and from not that long ago what I was dealing with and Mm. that I just needed to be held so yeah I think I'm very aware that not everyone is as lucky as I was to have that sort of support and I really hope that by talking about these things in this sort of capacity it can help you know even just at least one person feel like they have a village outside of what they may be able to access otherwise, if that makes sense. Something I also wanted to um, talk about is because I know you are back at work. How was that transition back into working for you? How have you found that? How long have you been back at work? Um, So I left the job that I was at when I fell pregnant. So I did maternity leave and everything and it was in interior design. Like I loved it. It was, but it was very, um, it was five days a week and my boss actually wouldn't let me come back unless it was full time. So that was a non-negotiable for me. So I was very lucky enough to find a job in content with my best friend. She has a marketing company. So that has given me the opportunity to work from home full time or part time. But even like you think, oh, yeah, I can work from home. That's amazing. I'll be able to balance everything. And then they get out of the newborn stage and they start crawling and they start getting into everything. And you'll run off your feet being like, no, no, you know, like trying to. And then you want to be present as well. Like I sometimes I catch myself working on the phone and the computer and I'm like, stop, go be present. But then some work can be done tomorrow, but some I do have deadlines. So trying to find that happy medium. I requested that my partner work from home one day a week. And even though at first he was like, no, I don't think I can do it with, I'm lucky that he can do it now. So that definitely takes the pressure off. He takes it for the day while he's working. But even he said to me recently, I don't know how you do it. Like I can't work from home and look after her anymore. She's a, like, she's hard work. She's a little yeah. fire sign. She's into everything. She wants attention yeah. constantly. She's amazing. But yeah, it's it's hard to balance. And I think like I am looking forward to putting her into care two days a week just so I can get everything done that I need to do. And then I'm not spread so thin because mm-hmm. I do. I do find myself getting spread quite thin and then I get run down and I sometimes find myself resenting being a mum because of that like I'm like yes. if I wasn't a mum I wouldn't feel so spread thin but then I bring myself back to it and I'm like hang on like you're doing fine <laughs> yes yeah and the mum guilt I think is so real isn't it because you feel bad for like I I remember when I started back at work after Patrick and I was lucky enough to get 15 months off with him um but 
when I started him at daycare, um, because of the nature of my job, I am a shift worker. So there were some days where he would be at daycare and I would be at home or like I would finish a night shift in the morning and take him to daycare so that I could sleep. Mm -hmm. And I had this just intense guilt, which is so irrational for needing that time to myself and and Mm -hmm. for enjoying the time to myself as well. And I think as women, we're so conditioned to feel like we need to be serving others at at all times that Mm. as soon as we do something for ourselves, like going back to work, we just have that guilt about Mm. it. Yeah. And yeah, that was a really, a really big thing for me. And I think because obviously I am now three months, nearly four months postpartum with my second that's something that's weighing really heavily on my mind as well, mm. returning to work and what that's going to look like for us. It just, it almost increases your mental load. Did you have like your standard six week checkup with your GP and your physio, women's health physio checkup? What did that sort of look like for you? So I didn't have one. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't have one. Um, so I was I started seeing a physio towards the end of my pregnancy because I had sciatica. Mm. Um, my lovely baby was sitting on that nerve and it was the most painful thing. Like I had to go on maternity leave earlier than expected because I was in so much pain. So it did ease after she was born, but I had a lot of hip issues after birth. And even now it's a bit better because I'm exercising a lot more. I'm moving, moving my body. So they're getting, you know, they're getting that rotation and everything. But for the first like six months, my I had hip pain. I couldn't do yoga properly. I'm pretty bad with going to the doctor and taking care of myself in that sense. Um, but I did speak to a naturopath about my postpartum depression and just all this stuff I was feeling. And she told me I should go get my thyroid checked. And I didn't even know that your thyroid could affect all yeah, that. So everything. And, everything. and you know what? Still haven't gone and done it, but I know that I need to. And I yeah. know that. Once I do, like, I'll have the answers that I already know I'm going to get. So even before pregnancy, I'm quite deficient in B12. Yep. So I used to get B12 injections and all that type of stuff. So I never, yeah, I never went back and got anything, um, which I probably should have because I also had an episiotomy. So my scarring, it healed fine. Um, it did heal eroded. So it looks yeah. Very interesting down there. I, I had a look one day and oh I was my gosh. like, oh my God. I, whenever my friends tell me that they've looked down there, I'm always like, why? Why did you, why did you do that? And we all well, do it. Like I've yeah, done we, it. Yeah, yeah, I had to because um, I think it was about, I don't know, two months postpartum and it was after sex that it, there was a bit of blood and I was like, oh shit. So I had a look in the mirror and that's when I – I I remember calling out to my partner, oh, my gosh, I've got a third flap because, like, (laughs) (laughs) because, yeah, it was like a full erosion scar. So, yeah, and then, yeah, it was it was a shock. But um, even now it still gets a little bit irritated because, like, it's such a hard area to heal. Um, So, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, I definitely should have gone and got a few checkups, but I didn't. And I'm, you know, like I've spoken to a few mums and they haven't either. Like, they just neglect themselves so yeah again it's such a well 
Uh, I mean, I did. I I went to both of my six week checkups just because I sort of booked them at the same time as um, my baby's first immunizations and thought I might as well get myself checked out while I was there. Um, both times I went to different GPs just because um, we moved from Brisbane to the Gold Coast um, in between my pregnancies and neither time did either of the checkups involve an actual check of my um, my wounds. So my first birth obviously being a forceps delivery, there was an episiotomy and some tearing mm-hmm. and my second birth, which um, I will talk more about eventually but was just the most beautiful incredible experience um I still did tear a little bit but my midwife checked it on our last visit so I think at four weeks postpartum and everything was looking fine and it felt fine Mm -hmm. um yeah so the GP didn't didn't actually check it I think there's a lot to be said about GP checkups for um postnatal women I I haven't heard of too many um women who've had really thorough checkups I feel like um from my experience it's been like a bit of a tick and flick um how's feeding going uh have you had any thoughts of harming yourself or baby um what's your relationship like are you healing okay Mm. gap in Mm. in that experience so yeah I I'm actually really interested to hear from some some other mums and hear what their experience with that has been like yeah definitely and I think like if a doctor says to you how are you healing like I don't know like you can kind of tell me you know yeah exactly like I don't know what's going on in there like my organs moved my everything moved my abs disappeared like I actually started to notice that when I started exercising again, I didn't start exercising until about two months ago. Um, So that would have made me about nine months postpartum. Um, And as my abs were coming back, like it felt like I had a hernia or something like everything just started to feel really weird. And yeah, like we don't know what's going on in there. So for a doctor to be like, how are you healing? It's like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) You're the expert. Yeah, exactly. That's so, that's so Patrick um for quite a while actually because of the the damage to my pelvic floor I felt um every time I stood up I felt like my organs were going to fall out of my vagina and that's the only way I can describe it I know it sounds crass so I didn't return to exercise till I think around yeah 11 months Mm -hmm. um postpartum with him and even then I still just had like a feeling of it was just like pressure and I did go and see a women's health physio and I would, was diagnosed with a uh, stage one bladder prolapse, which yeah. um, apparently is super, super common. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everybody gets the symptoms of it. So not everybody is is diagnosed, but a lot of women who have been pregnant um, will suffer from a degree of any of your pelvic floor organs. So mm-hmm. I think from my understanding, if anybody is listening that is that has more knowledge of this than I do, feel free to correct me. Um, but I think it's your bladder, your uterus and your bowel maybe that can prolapse. And um, so they just sort of come down into like the vaginal wall and there's different degrees. So stage one is the, the sort of 
least and then a stage four is the worst and along with that can come all sorts of symptoms so mine was just the the pressure and the feeling of just heaviness and it was often at the end of like a long day on my feet that I would feel it some people have incontinence some people experience pain some people can't use tampons or um, have sex without feeling pain so that was really interesting for me and something that I didn't yeah, previously know about, even with my basic anatomical knowledge from being a nurse, that's not something that that we talk about. Mm. And so I did a program, a, an online program called Core and Floor Restore. And the lady who runs that B or Bernadette is just this incredible uh, midwife who runs programs for anybody experiencing any sort of pelvic floor anything and she also does antenatal classes she does birth debriefs she's just yeah she's incredible mm-hmm. um I did one of her programs and my second pregnancy resulted in no worsening of my prolapse and I'm now pretty much symptom free and at nine weeks postpartum with Charlie I was able to return to high intensity exercise which I wouldn't have even thought of. Yeah. Mm. And so definitely something I recommend to anybody, just like, even if you previously, like even if it's your first pregnancy and you don't have any issues with that, I would definitely recommend going and seeing a women's health physio or Mm. doing some sort of program to just understand what's going on down there as well. Like, again, even with my knowledge of anatomy, I didn't even realize that those organs were part of your pelvic floor I didn't know till just then when you told me so right yeah and and also like the other thing and again somebody please correct me if I'm talking shit um (laughs) but like the pelvic floor itself is just a series of like muscles and ligaments and stuff but it's not actually a a floor like what we think of it as yeah it's it's all very interesting but on that topic of exercising and returning to exercise did you, I hate this expression so much, but the bounce back culture, mm-hmm. did you feel any pressure to bounce back or if you did, where did that pressure sort of come from? And Yeah, absolutely. Like I, so I, when I, before I fell pregnant, I was a very sporty person. Like I played netball every week. My partner and I exercised all the time. We played AFL, like we we're really active sporty people. Um, and then obviously when I was pregnant, team sports went out the window. And yeah. I think once I stopped exercising, I kind of fell into that rut and I didn't really exercise at all throughout my pregnancy. And then I think that contributed to just the pain I was in, like my, my, my body was so stagnant for so long. And then, um, yeah, after birth, I just had no desire to exercise. Like my no motivation, my energy levels were depleted, all that type of stuff. Um, and then also the hip pain I was experiencing. So like I try yoga and stuff, but um, I think when was it? About two months ago, I was able to move a lot better. Um, I was walking more. And then my partner and I started the 75 hard challenge. So like it's 75 days of no alcohol, um, exercising every single day. Um, which wow. is really, really hard. I can't relate to the no alcohol. <laughs> I know. I, I I had it my first drink the other day, and it was. Oh. <laughs> but 
to be honest, like it was a really interesting experience because I went from having I complete my abs are completely separated. They were gone from pregnancy and to watch them form back and come back and to feel them back there is amazing. Um so it took some time, but once I got into it and my body got used to exercising every day again, um, it was pretty easy. The only thing that held me back was still um, low energy levels, which I, I still struggle with. So I, that's why I need to get my bloods done. <laughs> but yeah, I found it pretty, I feel much better for it and I'm stronger. My my number one goal was to get my core back and to build my upper body strength back because I just felt the weakest I'd ever felt in my whole life physically. So yeah, like it, it took me a long time to get back into it. But now that I'm doing it again, I love it. But in terms of bounce back, especially with social media and stuff, it's really easy to see like all these mums bounce back, especially famous mums. Like you see them mm. out three weeks after in amazing outfits and looking incredible. But then you have to kind of remind yourself, well, you know, people like the Kardashians and stuff, they have nannies, they have you know yes. everyone has different experiences so I think it's yeah it's really easy to get pulled back into bounce back culture but I've been okay like I find myself sometimes body image wise being like oh, I wish I was back to how I was before I was pregnant and all that type yeah. of stuff but then you have to also remind yourself that you had a baby like you know your body changed and it will forever be changed because of it so yeah, I think it ebbs and flows with bounce back. But now that I'm back at it, I think to be able to say it took me, yeah, nine and a half months to do it, like it's completely normal. And hey, some some people it takes 18 months. Like yeah. it just yeah. everyone's experience is different. And I think that adding that pressure to yourself when you're raising a baby, trying to navigate your relationship with a baby and healing and eating well and just all the things that come with life, I think that's just one thing you don't need on your plate at all, yeah. if you can help it, of course. <laughs> How did you find Bounce Back? I, I um, was really lucky and I actually really struggled with this. So I think like I was back in my pre-pregnancy genes a week after I had Patrick, but mm. I was always very quick to remind people that compression shorts are incredible. And the <laughs> other thing is that's not me doing anything or like being deserving of compliments that is my uterus being very quick to shrink back to its pre-pregnancy size mm -hmm. and th there's really there was no more to it than that because I did literally nothing for those first few months I found my body image during and since my first pregnancy has been so much better than pre-pregnancy because I have always been really critical of my body and after like during pregnancy I've never loved my body as much as I do when I'm pregnant I absolutely love being pregnant mm -hmm. um, despite the sickness I have now I have so much appreciation for what my body can do rather than what it looks like and I think for me that and it sounds so cliche, but it actually is true. And this is a huge mindset shift for me as somebody who has always tied a lot of their worth to what they look like and um, really struggled with comparison to to other people. Um, I am just so proud of what my body has been through and the two little humans that I created. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, yeah, I, I can't hate my body anymore 
I just yeah. like I can't because yeah. I made these little people mm. and for me returning to exercise this time was because I love myself and I want to be strong and I want to feel like I can continue um to to yeah be the mum who runs around with her kids and isn't yeah complaining of back pain or whatever mm. a lot of my exercise that I do now is more functional um and for that reason and then also and I've I've realized it this last week or so because both of my kids have been sick um and I haven't been able to exercise I miss just moving my body like I feel so restless when I can't yeah now and it's not yeah, it's not me wanting to to punish myself for eating a packet of mint slices. And I say that very pointedly because I do quite often eat a whole <laughs> packet of mint slices. It's um, all about balance, right? That's balance it. Is key. <laughs> that's it. Um, but I don't do it to punish myself for that anymore. I do it because I I want to move my body. Yeah, I I don't I don't really think that I've had any of that internal pressure to to bounce back. Um just for anybody listening, that was very heavily air quoted um, with my fingers. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I just don't believe in bounce back. Yeah, it's not a night. Like, yeah, it's a bit of a, I don't know if we agree with that expression. Like how can, you, how can you go back to before? Your mind is never going to be the same again. Like why do we expect for our bodies to go back to how they were? They've stretched right. we, we think they are going to. Like we think, and then we're shocked with this like, loss of who we are and everything like that when you go from maiden to mother you like we don't learn about that we have no idea that our bodies can't go back to how they were like I've always had big hips like the big childbearing hips and yeah now they're even bigger and I'm like that's all right they'll go back and when I figured out that they weren't going to I was yeah. like okay like I had to remind myself that yeah you had a baby in there like and like yeah. I said before your organs move like everything shifts upwards and outwards and like yeah Liv, something I want to touch base on um, that I think is really important for us to talk about and for the listeners to hear about is relationships and how having a baby affected said relationships. So I think for me, the biggest relationship that was affected was my immediate relationship with Dean. We had only been together a year and a half when we found out we were pregnant and Funnily enough, like I was the one that was shocked and, you know, my whole world had been tipped upside down and I I thought I'd ruined Dean's life. Like that was the instant thought that came to my mind when I found out I was pregnant. And when I told him, he was amazing. He said it was a great thing. And, you know, we, we actually found out about our pregnancy two days after his dad had passed away. So it was it was kind of, for me, I'm a big universe believer and I'm a big believer in things happening for a reason. And we both felt that, you know, we just lost such a, a, a beautiful life and now we're gaining one. So, you know, that was good. But even pregnancy affected our relationship, like my hormones, my emotions, my sickness. It was a big test for both of us. And when Aura came, you know, the first week was okay. Like it was, you're in that bubble and you're, you're trying to get used to the fact that you have this baby. And then it either, I feel like for us, it either brought out the best in us or the worst. It was quite triggering. Um, 
I know for me it brought up a lot of old trauma that I experienced as a child and also as a as a young adult um and I feel it triggered him quite a bit as well you know it's a lot of pressure and it's something so new and so foreign and you think you're prepared for it but really we only prepared for birth together like we did a birth class online and I communicated to him how I wanted the birth to go so he was amazing in that retrospect but yeah once Bob came we were fishes out of water we didn't have a big support network it was mainly just us we were our village and there was fights and there was uncomfortable moments and there was just really dark moments as well um and then also he went back to work after two weeks and for me I began to resent him because he got to go back to his normal life and I say that in quotations you know he got to go back to his nine to five job and in that first week he went to the pub with his friend and like I think he was still trying to figure out that he actually had to come home after work and help me with this newborn baby so that caused a lot of rifts between us and you know looking back on it now it was wild. It was a wild time. And all it took, though, was for me to communicate to him. And after after a while, he he understood that the presence that I required and that aura required was more important than, you know, whatever else was happening. So, yeah, it was a big test for our relationship. And even now it tests us. But we've gotten to a point where if aura becomes too much for me and I'm really starting to struggle, he will swoop in and he will make sure I'm okay and he will take her and give me the space that I need and vice versa. So we've we've definitely grown, um, but we also had to trudge through the dirt, I guess you could say, to get here. Um, and I know that there's going to be more challenges and, you know, as a parent, you need to constantly be working on yourself. Even as a person, as a human being, you need to constantly be working on yourself. And when you become a parent, all that stuff inside of you is heightened. And, yeah, it's definitely pushed us in directions that we needed to go. And, yeah, that's I think that's the best way to describe how it affected my immediate relationship. In terms of friends, a lot of my friends have babies now. I was the first one and then others were fell pregnant soon after they come and go I feel like everyone is so busy and so consumed with their new lives that we don't really have the time to see each other as much as I personally would like to um I had this vision going into pregnancy and motherhood that I'd be sitting in a field with all my friends and our babies breastfeeding together and cooking for each other and I have this dream of this commune you know and that just isn't the case, especially where I live in Sydney. Like, it's chaos in Sydney. Um, and, yeah, so I found for friendships it's really hard to maintain them. And even though I'm craving those friendships, I also find it hard to put the effort in as well. Like, I don't read text messages sometimes. They go unread. And then, like, it's really easy to do for any new parent. So, yeah, that's also been quite challenging. But our relationships grow and evolve and they sometimes disappear and that's okay that's part of life and at the end of the day you know you have your family you have your your children and your or your first baby and when they're this young you you have to prioritize it you know and the the real friends and the real partners and the people that are meant to be in your life will stay there that's what I like to believe
So yeah. What about you, Liv? Like, how did you find it affected your relationship? Like how soon did your partner go back to work? Was it different the first time around compared to the second time? So for me, I think obviously the pregnancy was very much planned. I think it would be very strange if it was a surprise to us, but we, despite the fact that it was planned, really didn't prepare what would happen to our relationship when we introduced a baby into it. And I think from what you said, that is so common that again, we've talked about this before about how you plan for the birth, but what happens after that. And so the first few weeks, I have never been so in love with Cleo. She absolutely took the reins because I was still struggling so much physically and emotionally for those first initial few weeks after Patrick was born. Cleo, all credit to her, not what I would describe as the most maternal person, but she absolutely just took over and she took care of everything. She took care of Patrick when I wasn't able to. She took care of me, all the meals, organizing visitors, just everything. She had it all under control and she was incredible. So we had planned for her to take three weeks off work on parental leave. She ended up taking five weeks again, just because I was struggling for me personally. So the night waking became a real issue because it was sort of like, I was doing all of the night wakings, which is fine. But in my head, I was sort of like, well, I've got an important job too. I need to be on my game at all times because I am looking after a baby. But in the same token, Cleo also has an important job and she can't be turning up to work exhausted. It just, it wouldn't work that way. So trying to figure out what that looked like was difficult and we posted a meme about it and I think a lot of people can relate to the whole I'm tired thing. Obviously partners are very entitled to feel tired. When they say that they're feeling tired, they're saying that because they are tired. They're saying it because they want to be heard. But what we hear is I'm more tired than you. And obviously that's not what they are trying to say, but for some reason, I know for me, it just triggers something in me, just something very, very ragey. And that's something that Cleo and I are still working on, especially the second time around when we also have a toddler as well as the newborn. So Cleo's sort of doing majority of the parenting for Patrick and I, because Charlie's exclusively breastfed, I am doing probably majority of the caring for him. So yeah, it's a real learning curve, isn't it? Like you said, you reflect a lot back on how you were parented and it brings up a lot of, yeah, reflection. And again, also how your partner was parented, which may be very different to to the way that you were. And that might cause some conflicting views on how you want to parent your children. It's probably been a pretty positive change for me with most of my friendships. And I will say that my friends that don't have kids have been incredibly understanding and patient with me while I figure this thing out. I like to joke that it takes me three to 40 business days to reply to a text message. 
And I think I was probably like that pre-kids, but potentially having kids has actually made it worse. It It is hard. Like you said, you do in, envision a village, but much like you, Jazz, when you don't have the capacity to provide that support for others, while I do have some friends who when they've had babies, I have been able to drop off hot meals or just sort of things like that. For the most part, I haven't been that friend to them. So I definitely don't or can't expect that from others. I think the other thing that I really struggled with was I never had a mother's group with Patrick because it was during COVID sort of the the peak of COVID. I didn't join a mother's group. And this time around, I have actually recently joined a mother's group, but we've sort of just formed our own. And these women that had never met before up until a couple of months ago, they are offering to help look after my kids while I go and exercise or while I go and do something for myself, or they will just at the drop of a hat, come for a pram walk with me if I need to get out of the house for my mental health. And these are all of the things that I wanted and craved when I was postpartum with Patrick. And it's really heartwarming. And I probably struggle with a lot is accepting help, even though I know that if people offer it, they genuinely are offering it because they want to help. I really struggle accepting that help. So I think that's another big part of why that village doesn't really exist anymore because we're conditioned to feel like we should be able to do it all on our own and we shouldn't. And this is sort of one of the first generations where we are doing it on our own. Yeah, I think overall my experience with my relationships in general has been positive but so Liv do you want to tell us a little bit about your second time round being postpartum was it a lot different to your first one or was it pretty much the same I'd love to hear how that went for you yes oh my gosh my postpartum experience with Charlie has been a world apart from my experience with Patrick I think a combination of being a second time mum and just you don't know what you don't know that first time and the second time you do know but also just educating myself and really setting some boundaries quite early in my pregnancy for what I wanted postpartum to be like was crucial for me a big part of I think the fact that I had such a positive postpartum experience this time was because I had a really positive birth with Charlie as well. It was, again, polar opposite to Patrick's birth where I felt like everything was sort of out of my control and that I was a passenger in that situation. I really felt present at Charlie's birth and We were discharged home five hours after I gave birth to him in time to introduce him to his brother and have dinner with our little family of four before we tucked Patrick into bed, which was the most just surreal experience. From then on in, it was pretty cruisy. I definitely didn't have the family support around this time that I had the first time. 
my dad had a major stroke when I was about 30 weeks pregnant and that was really hard for our family and because we live on the Gold Coast and my family are in Brisbane or my parents are in Brisbane and both of my sisters live about six hours or so away in opposite directions, that family support from my family wasn't there this time, which was really hard. It was a really hard adjustment. And I did cry a lot about that side of things in those early days. I really missed my mum because obviously mum is now caring full-time for my dad and because we're an hour or so drive away, really just missed that practical support from her. Again, my mother-in-law was incredible. She was here a lot helping out with Patrick and just things around the house, which was awesome. Cleo took three weeks off, I think, this time, and that was actually just enough. It was enough to help me get settled in with Charlie and Patrick's at daycare three days a week. So I had those three days where it was just me and Charlie and we spent a lot of time either in bed or on the couch just feeding and doing skin to skin. And yeah, it was really lovely. One thing I will say is I didn't rest as much as I had anticipated that I would or planned to. So I did find myself getting quite exhausted in those early days when I would just push myself a little bit too hard. And at the end of the day, I'd sort of be like, okay, yeah, probably pushed it a bit hard today, but you live and you learn. Another thing that I think is really important to touch on, and I'm hoping that we will explore this with some guests who have had different experiences with this than I had is that both of my boys as newborns have been incredible sleepers. So I think my mental health would have been probably a lot worse if they hadn't been, if I had been sleep deprived on top of everything else that's going on in the postpartum phase. So I do think that that's really important to mention because that is just pure luck that I got to pretty sleepy newborns and I wasn't sleep deprived during that time. I will talk more about my experience with Charlie's postpartum in the future, but basically just a completely contrasting experience and partly probably because second baby, but also the the planning and preparation that I did in terms of what I wanted postpartum to look like was very different. And also just knowing how to ask for help a little bit more than what I did that first time. That is all we've got time for today, guys. Thank you so much for again for tuning in to the first episode of the Afterbirth podcast. 
If you liked today's episode, please come and connect with us on our socials. We are on Instagram at theafterbirth underscore pod. We'd love to hear from you and hear what you thought of today's episode. We can't wait to continue creating some more beautiful episodes. And next week we have our very first guest, which we're so excited about. Thank you again. Till next time. Bye. Thank you.